Good morning, Harvest City. And I just want to share with you from Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 today, because as I said earlier, this is actually the season of Pentecost when we commemorate the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who's greater than I. He's so much greater that I'm not worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love this testimony of John. It's actually found in all three of the synoptic gospels, but in all gospels and all four gospels, there's a reference to Jesus baptizing believers with the Holy Spirit. And we know that John's role was to prepare God's people for the coming of Messiah. He was the one who would make the crooked way straight, the rough places smooth. He was preparing the way for the Lord. Now, John heralded the truth that there was someone greater than he. He wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the coming one. His focus was always on Jesus, that when Jesus would come, he would call people to a place of deep faith and trust in him, and that would culminate in this experience that he calls the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. I baptize you, John said, in water unto repentance. But Jesus is going to baptize you, literally the Greek says, in Holy Spirit and in fire. This is a distinct experience. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter preached about repentance and the need to be baptized in water. And then he said this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So throughout the New Testament, we see this this connection between repentance, being baptized, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned in the last message, it doesn't always happen in that order in terms of water baptism always preceding the reception of the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Acts 10, we saw in Cornelius' household that as Peter was actually preaching to them, the Holy Spirit fell. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says that they actually spoke with tongues in that passage. And then afterwards, they were baptized in water. So we, we don't want to become rigid regarding how it works, but ultimately we know that God wants to give his people the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It is so important that we receive the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. This particular prophecy that John made about Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit was, of course, mentioned by our Lord. He repeated it to his disciples just before he left the earth to ascend to his Father. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The fulfillment of this happened on what we call the day of Pentecost, which is exactly 50 days after Jesus' death, which would have been Passover. They're gathered together in one accord in one place. We read in Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, that on the day of Pentecost, these believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present 
was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This promise that Jesus made, that John foretold, was actually found and foretold by several of the prophets in the Old Testament as well. For example, Joel said, And afterward, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Isaiah also spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the people of God receiving the Holy Spirit, not just to come upon them, but to dwell with them and be with them forever. In Isaiah 59, verse 21, we read, As for me... This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I put in your mouth will always be on your lips. So the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forevermore, says the Lord. Now, when Peter began preaching on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came and, and they were all baptized, people began to accuse him of being drunk. You know, they said, what is this phenomenon? We don't understand what is happening. And Peter pointed directly to the passage in Joel that I've already mentioned. This is an experience that has scriptural precedent. This is something that God foretold through his prophets hundreds of years prior because it was so significant. He wanted each and every one of us to not miss the importance of receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And we know that the early church was a church that was full of the Spirit. When you read the book of Acts, you see that repeatedly, how they ministered in the Holy Spirit, how they preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. They advanced the gospel of the kingdom because of the power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. When they prayed, the Holy Spirit came and, and shook the place and filled them time after time. It's an amazing experience that God wants His people to walk in today. So much more than what we've many times just you know, alluded to it being speaking in tongues, for example. Jesus said, no, there is power that comes upon you. There is a person that fills you. This Holy Spirit, he's your guide. He's your comforter. He's the one who will teach you. He's the one who will lead you. He will encourage you. There's so many applications of what the person of the Holy Spirit in us, as we are immersed, as we are baptized in him, how it affects our lives, not only in us, but through us. But I want you just to notice something. John specifically spoke about a baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, he uses this metaphor of fire, and it's found repeatedly throughout the Gospels. And so I was thinking about that. What does it really mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire? Why wouldn't the writer just simply say the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think that this particular analogy is this figure of speech is very important now, if you look at what happened in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, it was obviously that there was like a holy wind. There was a sound of, of a rushing mighty wind. There was like tongues of fire that came and, and settled upon each one of them. So we see this uh, metaphor again of fire actually manifesting physically, visibly in front of those who were gathered there today. And I was thinking about fire. You know, fire in the natural 
uh, can be very destructive. I was thinking of the scripture in, in the book of James, chapter 3. It actually says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. But when fire is harnessed, when it's controlled, it can be of great benefit to us as human beings. Let's look at this for a moment. First of all, we know that fire produces power. Fire, secondly, generates light. And fire also makes heat. And then we know that precious metals are actually purified uh, as a result of fire. So I'm going to be looking at these uh, particular applications because I really believe that each one of these characteristics or, or features of fire has a spiritual fulfillment in the sense of the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we're going to be looking at each one of these, but today I want to focus on the first characteristic, and that is fire produces power. Fire produces power. I've already referred to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word, of course, in the Greek is dunamis, and it literally means divine ability or supernatural power. In other words, this isn't just natural ability. This isn't just human ingenuity or giftedness. This is speaking of a power that comes from another world. This is speaking about the very power of God. It's a supernatural empowerment so that we can do what God has called us to do. And he specifically says that you will receive this power for a purpose. And what is the purpose? He says that you will be witnesses unto me. We've been called to be witnesses unto Christ. We've been called to make him known and to represent him, so to speak, to the world in which we live in. And it's very interesting that the word that is translated witness in English comes from a Greek term that really is very symbolic or, or very similar to our English word martyr. So you will receive power to become martyrs. Now, what is a martyr? A martyr is a person who is so strongly convinced in something that they are willing to suffer persecution and even lay down their lives. Now, we, we know that many, uh, actually 11 out of the 12 apostles, actually were physically martyred. But I think there's another application here that starts before a person would be physically willing to lay down his life. There has to be a willingness to lay down our life, spiritually speaking. And Paul spoke about this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is what he said. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm no longer living to my sinful desires. I'm no longer living for my selfish ambitions. I now live for Christ. And he actually takes it a step further. He said, it's not just even that I'm attempting or endeavoring to live for Christ. He says, Christ is living in me. And we know elsewhere that the New Testament teaches that Christ lives in us by the person of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And so he's saying, I now live a new life. I live in the resurrection power of God. I live for the purpose and the will of God. And I do only what is pleasing to him 
because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is in me, that has caused me to deny my flesh, to turn from sin, to turn from wickedness and selfishness, to love people, to serve people, to follow the will of God on the earth. And I really believe that the greatest testimony and witness of the power of the gospel is a person who is dead to sin and fully alive in Christ, walking in resurrection power and making known His glory on the earth. That is by far the greatest testimony of a life that is filled with the Spirit. You know, I've heard people talk about how it's one thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we need to walk in the Spirit. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul taught in Galatians 5. Now that you've been filled with the Spirit, you need to walk in the Spirit. Don't start in the Spirit and then revert to the flesh. And so someone has said it's being a Pentecostal pedestrian. You know, we, we're born of the Spirit, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, but then we have to learn to walk in the Spirit. If we don't walk in the Spirit, our testimony is in vain. It doesn't matter how many people we're able to heal or, or what spiritual gifts we have. Our lifestyle must emphasize the fact that the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives, that we are surrendered to God and that the Holy Spirit is working in us. We know it says in Romans 8 that those who are led by the Spirit, those who are governed by the Spirit, controlled, guided by the Holy Spirit, are the true sons of God. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes to give us power to overcome sin, the flesh, and to walk in the supernatural divine power of God in our personal lives, first and foremost. But it doesn't stop there. The second application is clear because Jesus said that we are to be witnesses unto him, and he's very strategic, saying in Jerusalem, where they were, to Judea, the province, to Samaria, which represents another people group in a, an adjoining province, and then to the ends of the earth. So the gospel was to be taken to the ends of the earth. And the early disciples understood this clearly. They knew that they were called to preach this gospel because Jesus was very clear with them. He had commissioned them. But interestingly, we recognize that when Jesus gave them this commission to make disciples of the nations, to preach the gospel to all creation, he actually told them to wait in Jerusalem, to wait until they were endued with power from on high. So it's a very significant thing that Jesus was saying to them. Even though you guys are ready, even though I've, I've taught you for the past three years, and, and he said, I don't want you to start this mission until you are endued with power from on high. And so what he was saying is, you need the Holy Spirit. You're not capable of doing what I want you to do in your own strength, with your own abilities. You need the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the early church, particularly the church in Jerusalem, was full of the Spirit. And as a result, there was great power and great grace in their midst. Acts 4.33 says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. I am completely convinced if we're going to penetrate the spiritual darkness that has blinded the eyes of the hearts of so many 
in this present day culture and generation that the gospel must come forth not only in declaration, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. We need supernatural ability. I really believe the church today needs to reclaim and lay hold of what I call the credentials of the kingdom. And what do I mean by that is we may have our earthly credentials and there's nothing wrong with that, but the Bible speaks about another type of credential. And it's actually found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 22, and it's speaking about Jesus himself. Listen to this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. The word accredited, the idea is being credentialed. He was a man accredited by God to you. Listen to this. By miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. The New Living Translation says that God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth through miracles, wonders, and signs. Of course, the word of God testifies of Jesus. And of course, we are to preach the word. We're to teach the word of God. But there's this element known as the power of God that comes to bear witness to the messenger and the message. The first example clearly that says that these miracles testified to who Jesus was. And then secondly, in Hebrews 2.4, we see that it says that God testified to the gospel by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. God testified to the preaching of the gospel. Mark 16, 20 says that the apostles went out preaching everywhere and God working with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders and with miracles. God was backing it up. God was confirming this word. He was testifying or bearing witness to it. You know, there's a story in the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite stories. And I, I looked at this one day and I realized in the natural that this person, this individual, was chosen by God to go to a place that in the natural, he was the least likely to go there. He's the least likely to succeed. I'm, I'm speaking about Philip. We know that Philip started off as kind of a, a prototype of a deacon. He served faithfully in the church, and later on in Acts, he's known as an evangelist. But here, the Holy Spirit sends him out to Samaria. Philip is a Jew. He's not a Samaritan. There was a vast theological chasm between what the Jews believed and the Samaritans adhered to. But there was also racial tension. But yet God chooses the foolishness of the world, those that are not, those that are the least qualified, in order to confound the wisdom of this world. Why? So that the glory would go to God. It wouldn't be about his ability to relate to them so much, but it was the very fact that God's anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit was with Philip that gave him inroads into that community in favor with the Samaritan people. I want to read from Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. Notice this. This city is entirely shaken by the power of the gospel, and many come to faith in Christ. It says this, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miracles which he performed. It says this, They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Notice this. It says, 
when they saw the signs that he performed, it says they heard, they gave him, they heeded to him, they gave him their undivided attention because of the miracles which took place. And it specifically speaks about people being delivered from impure spirits and the paralyzed and walking and the lame walking. There's great joy in that city. You know, I've had the privilege to travel to many nations in the world. And just about two years ago, I was in Jakarta, Indonesia, and I was actually invited there to go to this particular area from a friend in the east side of Jakarta, which is vastly a Muslim area. And um, it was not really something that I was comfortable with in the natural, but I felt like the Lord said, I want you to go. Well, we, we ministered to these schools that are located in, in garbage dumps. We went in there, we visited them, we taught with the, uh, the family, we, we met with them and so on. But then one night the pastor told us, he said, we're going to do an outdoor meeting where we proclaim the gospel in this neighborhood. And he said, no one has ever done an outdoor meeting there preaching the gospel as far as we know. It was in a Muslim area. There's a mosque there. Um, it, and in, in the natural, it wasn't something that was an easy thing to do. We went there to preach the love of Jesus, to love the people. And so we began and sharing the gospel. There was music, and I preached a message of salvation. And I invited people who needed a miracle from God to, to stand to their feet. And I was just going to pray for them and just trust that God would do a miracle in their lives. As I prayed in the name of Jesus, so many healings took place. There were so many people that came to know the Lord and, and received um, as a result of receiving a miracle. There was one man in particular, I remember he was paralyzed, I believe it was on his right side, and his whole right side was basically incapacitated. And as we prayed for him and laid hands on him, uh, several times he eventually was completely healed and he was able to move his arm, move his leg in front of all the people there. It was an amazing testimony and it brought the gospel to these people. And, and as a result, God brought many people into his kingdom. You know, I've seen this happen in other places. I remember several years ago I was ministering in Jamaica and it was at a church that actually met in a tent and we were praying and for the sick at the end of the service. And one night in particular, there was a young lady who had a disease that's known as sickle cell anemia. And she was not able to walk. Her legs were twisted backwards, in fact. And so they said, can you pray for her? And they literally carried her to the front of the tent. And we laid hands on her and we prayed for her. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Her legs straightened out and she was instantly healed. And so the people just erupted with praise. People began to dance and worship God. And, and I know even years later, uh, I've checked with the pastor there and this woman was completely healed. She never went back to that and she was walking on a daily basis. So I've seen God do so many amazing things. I remember a time ministering in Nigeria in, in a very difficult area in what they call a, an area that is in crisis. And um, one day in particular, we were laying hands on people, praying for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was a man there. We prayed for him and he said that he... He felt God had done something deep in his work, but the, deep in his life, a deep work. But really what had happened to him was he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, later on, about a few days later, he called the pastor of the church and he said, I don't know what's going on here. He said, but I feel 
really good. He said, I, I've been tired. I've been weak. He said, I've been very sick. In fact, he said to the pastor, he said, I didn't tell you this. He said, but I was diagnosed HIV positive. He said, but pastor, something's different. I feel something different. So subsequently, he went and he was tested actually several times. And each one of the tests came back negative that this man was completely healed of HIV. To this day, he now is, is doing well. He's healthy. He lives in England. And this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only something that we read about in the, in the book of Acts or in the gospels, but something that is happening throughout the earth today. We need the power of God. We need God to breathe upon us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to break through the darkness today more than anything else. We need a people that are so surrendered to God, that are so yielded to God, that their lives just exude His presence. Their, their character and their mannerism manifest the very compassion and, and love of Jesus Christ, but also a people who know how to pray and, and see miracles, a people that can walk into the fullness of the Spirit and see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit with people being healed, people being delivered, people being set free. There's so many people that are bound today, so many people that need delivered, they need a breakthrough in their life, and people that are addicted, people that are confused. And I really believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, as Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and I'm not ashamed of that gospel. I need, we, we need to preach that gospel, not only in word, but in power. And I believe the day in which we live in demands that the power of the Holy Spirit is revealed on the earth more than ever before. And so I want to encourage you to seek the Lord for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, just begin to seek Him. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but perhaps, you know, you've just allowed the gift of God to become dormant in your life, to stir up the gift of God within you, as Paul said to Timothy, to fan it into flame, to see the fire of God burn again in your life. I know that some people will say, well, you know, it's more important then we manifest the fruit of the Spirit than it is the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to just say to you that it, I see that. The pendulum swings both ways. You know, on one side, we have those who emphasize the gifts and, and they're lacking character. And then we see other people that they, they have great character, but they have, they're not operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me say to you today that God wants us to have both. It's not either or, it's both and. He wants us to have both. Think about when the high priest would go into the temple every year and the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies. In the bottom of his garment, he had pomegranates and he had bells. This represents, I believe, the gifts of the Spirit as well as the fruit of the Spirit. And God wants us to manifest both the gifts and the fruits. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit is proof that God can change a man. The gifts of the Spirit is proof that God can use a man. We need both. 
If we're going to see God pour out His Spirit, if we're going to see revival, if we're going to see Vancouver awaken to its destiny and all of the people that are so lost and, and in desperate need of Jesus, we have to step into the fullness of the Holy Spirit, church. We've got to rediscover this person. We've got to be baptized with the Holy Spirit afresh. And I want to just encourage you to seek God to begin to walk into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This week I was greatly challenged and, and the Lord really spoke to me and He said, I want you to go back to what you once walked in and I want you to begin to manifest my anointing on the earth so that people will see, not you, but they will see me in you. And that is the greatest testimony. I no longer live, Christ lives in me. I've been crucified and Christ is living in me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, we worship you. We praise your name. And we give you all the glory today. We thank you, Lord, that you sent the person of the Holy Spirit into the world. You said you would not leave us as orphans, but you would send us another comforter, a comforter just like you. And he will abide with you forever. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We need uh, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, just like John said, just like Jesus foretold. But Lord, we also need to stir up that gift. Even for those of us who've received this, Lord, we pray for a fresh infilling. We pray to stir this up, Lord. And we pray that we would begin to see the miracles that we read about in the New Testament. That your church would just manifest and, and, and just display your love and your grace to this generation that so desperately needs to see Christ alive in his people. We are your body, Father. You're the head, Lord, but we are your body. Use us. Use us as your hands. Use us as your feet. Use us as your mouth. Use us, Lord, as your ears. Help us, Lord, to manifest the gospel of Jesus Christ on the earth. Help us to see revival. Help us to see your fire fall, Lord. And I thank you for the prophetic words that have been spoken over Harvest City. I thank you for the history and the heritage of Harvest City. And Lord, we believe that it's time to redig those wells. We believe it's time to draw from those wells, Lord, and to see the very water of God, the rivers of God go forth unto the nations of the earth, Lord. We thank you for our corporate uh, prophetic destiny, Lord, that you have for this body known as Harvest City. And we give you all the glory, Lord, and we pray that once again you would bring this coronavirus thing to an end, that we would be able to gather together, Lord. We pray that we would be able to come together, not just for the purpose of coming together, Lord, but that we've learned the things that you've been trying to teach us, Lord, and that we would become not just a people that show up to a building, but we would be a people that who in uh, the spirit and in the natural, we are your body and we take the gospel to those who do not know you. Help us, Lord, to do so, not in our own strength, not with our own wisdom, but with the strength, the power, and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. For it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by your spirit. Thank you, Father. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. And everyone said... Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. Say amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. El todo sea por un beso deal. Ya soñabas con llegar a McDonald's, ordenar tus McNuggets y tu Big Mac de siempre. Con extra pepinillos, extra salsa especial, extra cebolla, porque tú eres así. Extra. Pero luego recuerdas que estás en una cuarta cita. Y quizá ordenar cebollas extra no sea la mejor movida. Hay un meal para cada cita en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares.
Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular.